Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. This summer we've been looking at the life of Abraham, and we are going to continue that here in the month of August as we walk through these chapters, and I trust it's been an encouragement to you. Today we're going to be talking about the God who keeps his promises, and I'll read the text kind of section by section as we go through it this morning. But let me just pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the truth that it contains and how these stories from the life of Abraham have meaning, significance, relevance for us today too. Just like Abraham had to trust through through the challenges of life and the joys of life, so do we. And so, Father, would you speak to your people this morning and encourage us by your word. Amen. The birth of a child is one of life's greatest joys. Uh, If you are a parent, do you remember in your mind that first moment when you held your little baby boy or baby girl in your hands? And you were there in the hospital and you looked at that little baby with just wonder and amazement. In fact, you probably couldn't take your eyes off of him or her as you were holding them. I remember thinking how big my hands looked in comparison to our little sons as they would fit in my forearm easily uh, in those early days. And then how quickly they grow. And the excitement, the joy that you feel when you bring them home. At the same time, I know that along with the birth of a child can also be concerns or fears. I mean, if it's your firstborn child and you're new parents, you're wondering, can I do this? You know, there's no instruction manual that comes with this. You've probably been doing a lot of reading or looking or, you know, thinking about this at least to get ready and getting the house ready and a room ready and all of those things. But there's still maybe some anxiousness. Can I do this? Am I up to the challenge? Maybe you're thinking about the cost. You know, once in a while online they'll have those notes that say to raise a child from birth to 18 costs about $200,000 or thereabout, you know, and you're going, oh my, I mean, how can you afford that? And that's where the old saying comes in that if you wait until you can afford it, you'll probably never have kids. Um, you know, it's just, it just it does cost some money. I don't think it's quite that much as those studies show, but um, it is a cost. It's a step of faith, and you trust God to provide for you. And if a baby is born and there are health concerns or there are special needs, there are times when, as parents, you can wonder, can we do this? Can we go through all of what needs to be done? Can I do this? Yes, you can, by God's grace. There are joys, and there can be tensions and concerns with the birth of a child. We're going to see that in the text that we'll look at today when Isaac is born. But another thing I want to point out before we get into the text is that often life is a mixture of ups and downs, of joys and sorrows, of gains and losses. And sometimes people will say or look at life, you know, like you have good days and bad days. And once in a while there are those days where it seems like everything just went really well and other days when nothing went well. But more often, every day is a mixture of both, isn't it? In the course of your day, there may be good things that happen and there may be some bad things that happened or challenges. There can be seasons of life like that. Last fall, when Gail's dad was dying, we were also looking forward to the birth of another grandson. 
And so there's death and there is life coming at the very same time. In our staff meetings each week at church, you know, we pray and we share praises, answers to prayer, good things that are going on, people who have come to know Christ or people that are growing in their faith and the things that we're seeing God do. And at the same time, we pray for those that are sick or hospitalized or battling cancer or dealing with difficulties in their life. And we remember that. There's good and there's bad. There's highs and there's low. There's joys and there are sorrows. But through it all, God is constant. He is constant in His love for us, and He does not change. He is a faithful God. And that's what we will see in this chapter. There are three snapshots from the life of Abraham, kind of like taking three photos or video clips here that we're going to look at in Abraham's life. And as I came to the text this week, I was thinking, you know, Lord, what is the thread? What is the thread that unites these or that runs through each of these different snapshots in Abraham's life? All of them are briefly told, but all are connected to teach us something about God. And here's what I want to share with you this morning. Number one, God keeps His promises. God keeps His promises. Look at verses 1 to 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what He had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac, to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The birth of Isaac was a joyous occasion. It was a miracle. I mean, Abraham was a hundred years old. Sarah was ninety. Sarah's womb, if you will, was twice dead. She had been infertile in her childbearing years, and now she is well past menopause. And she, I mean, from a human standpoint, there's no way that she should have ever had a son. But God, who can do the impossible, gave her this new life, gave her a son. The text makes it very clear that it was by God's grace the Lord was gracious to Sarah. And three times in verses 1 and 2 it says that God did what He had said. God had told them all along He was going to do this. God did for Sarah what He had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. God kept His promises. In spite of delays and threats, you know, it had been 25 years from when the promise was first given. There had been threats. Remember when they were in Egypt and Pharaoh had taken Sarah to be his wife? It could have all ended right there. Or when Abraham went to rescue Lot in this battle against Ketelomer the king and the armies with him, Abraham could have been killed and it could have been ended there. But through it all, the ups and downs, the trials of life, God protected and He kept His promise. And Abraham and Sarah laughed. 
And all who heard the news rejoiced with them. And they named him Isaac, which means he laughs. He laughs. And every time they looked at Isaac, that little baby, there was joy in their hearts and amazement at what God had done. Sarah said, Who would have said to Abraham? Who would have said that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have thought it? No one. No one. God did the impossible. The birth of Isaac is a foreshadowing of the birth of Jesus. Another one of those miraculous births. Where Jesus would be born of a virgin. How can that be? How can this happen? And yet the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary and she would conceive and give birth to a son. The Son of God. But you know also there is a miracle that takes place in the life of every believer. Everyone who comes to place their faith in Jesus Christ is born again by the grace of God. We who at one time were dead in our sins. Physically, spiritually impossible for us to be born again, you would say, from a human point of view. And yet when we come to place our trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are born again and given eternal life. It is a miracle of His grace. God is a God who keeps His promises to us. And every time a new baby is born, it's a gift from God. It's a reminder of His power to give life. You know, it's been kind of fun now as we have uh, gotten older here for Gail and I to see our kids having kids. You know, this wonderful new stage of being grandparents is quite a joy. And you get to hold those little ones once again in your arms and experience again the miracle of new birth. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a family vacation together at a cabin up north, and we just had a wonderful time together with our kids and our grandkids there. And, you know, I'd, I'd show you pictures of them, but I heard that Pastor Jim in a message a few weeks ago was kind of complaining that I had taken unfair advantage about showing pictures of grandkids in a service, you know. So uh, I heard he was demanding equal time, and I thought, you know, this morning I'm going to show a picture of Jim's grandkids instead. <laughs> so so here they are. There's In that bottom picture, there's Jack and Luke, their grandsons with Grandma Holly and Grandpa Jim. Now, the, the funny thing about this, I had planned to do this this week because of the birth of Isaac. You know, I was thinking, okay, where can I fit this picture in? I was going to do it here. And... Pastor Jim and Holly aren't even here today. They're out in Michigan visiting their grandkids, so they're actually with them live. So now you need to do me a favor and you need to tell Jim that I actually did this, or Jim, if you're listening online, you know, here it is, and I'm recognizing your grandkids too. It is a wonderful stage in life. It is a joy to see new life, new children. God keeps His promises. A second thing we see in this text, though, too, is that God knows the challenges we face. He knows our needs. He knows what's going on in our life. He knows all of that. And we see that here in verses 8 to 21. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. 
And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down nearby about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. And God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. God knows the challenges we face. Three years have passed, and what should have been one big happy family isn't. Instead, there is tension. And here has come the time when Isaac is going to be weaned, and Abraham holds this great feast. It's to be a party, a celebration. Isaac has now reached this age of probably about three years old where he is being weaned, and they are going to celebrate this event. I mean, that was significant in a time when infant mortality was high. To have a child who reached that age meant that he was, uh, you know, probably going to survive and make it through those early years. And so there was a reason to rejoice. But Ishmael, who is a teenager now, maybe around 15, 16 years old, mocks Isaac. And Sarah sees it. A teenager and a toddler in the same family coming from different mothers and there is tension. There's rivalry there. The word mock in Hebrew is actually another form of the word for laughter. He was laughing at Isaac or mocking Isaac. We don't know exactly what he was doing or what was happening here, but Sarah saw it. And Sarah is upset and she says to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. She can't even speak her name. She is so upset. Just get rid of that woman. There had been irritation before. When Hagar had conceived, Sarah was jealous of Hagar. And she was mad at Abraham, and you could sense this kind of tension that was underlying everything. At the time in which Abraham lived, it's interesting, well, what we know from archaeology is that in Sumerian law, in Hurrian law, and also in the Code of Hammurabi, it was allowed for a husband to take a concubine as his wife if his primary wife was unable to have children. And he could adopt any heirs of a slave woman as his own. 
But if the primary wife had a son later, he would be the primary heir. Disinheritance of a son was allowed, but it was usually done by a court order. And so what we hear or see here is Sarah acting on this kind of custom, it seems, in that time in which they lived and wanting to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Abraham's torn by this. He's torn between his love for his wife, Sarah, and his love for his son, Ishmael. I mean, he cares about Ishmael. He has spent time with this young boy as he is growing up, and he's wondering, what should I do? And then God spoke. God spoke and said, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It is through Isaac that the blessing will come to all nations. But I will make of Ishmael a great nation too. It's an amazing statement. Two great nations, two great peoples will come from your line. And Abraham obeyed God, and he sent Hagar and Ishmael away. She wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she sat Ishmael down under a bush and was afraid that the time had come when he was going to die, and she could not watch that. And in that moment, God spoke. God heard the tears of Ishmael. He heard the cries of Hagar. And God spoke to her too. And He did what He had promised. He said, I will make of him a great nation. And He provided the water that they would need to survive. How does God speak to us in our circumstances? How does He deal with us when we face obstacles in our life or challenges that seem insurmountable or even impossible to deal with? God speaks by His Word and by His Spirit. In the very same way, God comes to us and He reminds us through His Word of the promises that He has made. That's why it's so important for us when we are going through difficult times or challenges in our life to be a people who know God's Word and who hold on to it. And there there are times in my life when I have specifically taken verses and I have written them out or I have memorized them as a promise that I can hold on to when I am facing a challenge in my life. What we see here too in Abraham's family is that sometimes the trials we face come because of past actions or choices. There were things that had happened in the past, you know, when Sarah couldn't have a child and she couldn't wait upon God and she said, here, take take Hagar and perhaps you can have a son through him and he'll be considered my son perhaps. But it caused all kinds of friction in the relationship. And now those things had come to the surface. You know, God is even bigger than that, isn't He? He can take the messes that we have made and He can unravel them and He can use them for His glory. Griffith Thomas said this. He said, God was graciously addressing the self-created mess of Abraham and Sarah because He was taking up the tangled threads of His servant's life and weaving them into His own divine pattern and overruling everything for good. He did that for Abraham. He would later do that for Joseph when his brother sold him into slavery in Egypt. Have you seen God do that in your life? 
Have you seen him take even the mistakes that you made in the past and he works them into the course of your life and he can use them for his glory? That's how faith grows. Frederick Buchner writes, We believe in God such as it is. We have faith. We work and we goof off. We love and dream. We have wonderful times and awful times. We are cruelly hurt and we hurt others cruelly. We get mad and bored and scared stiff and ache with desire. We do all such human things as these. And if our faith is not mainly just window dressing or a rabbit's foot or fire insurance, it is because it grows out of precisely this kind of rich human compost. God the gardener is making something beautiful out of the messes that we have made in our life. That's amazing. Kent Hughes said that faith does not grow in a greenhouse, but it grows in the unpredictable climates of life. The ups and downs, the joys and sorrows, the triumphs and the trials. And in the midst of it all, God asks us to trust Him. A couple of my favorite passages of Scripture are, for example, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a wonderful promise that is. Or I think about Matthew 6.31-33, where Jesus said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows your needs. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Put God first in your life. Trust Him. Walk with Him. Hold on to Him. And watch Him work in being your provider, your guide, your deliverer, your helper. God keeps His promises. God knows our needs. And thirdly, God is constant in His love for us. And we see that in verses 22 to 34. At that time, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. And Abraham said, I swear it. And then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I have heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? And he replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. And after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Philcol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. And so here we have this third scene 
Abimelech, the king of Gerar, and Philco meet with Abraham. And they come together at this area where there is a well. Abimelech has been an honorable man in his dealings with Abraham in the past. And Philco is the commander of his forces, and Abimelech recognizes that God's hand is on Abraham. He sees something in this man. He sees the blessing of God. And so he asks for Abraham's favor or kindness to be shown to him. Abraham agrees, but he does have one complaint, and it is about a well, about water in the desert. Abimelech says, I do not know about this. I am hearing about it for the very first time. And Abraham offers to buy this well that he has dug. According to the laws of that time, water rights could be bought and sold even if you didn't own the land. Abraham could buy the right to this well. And that's what he was doing. And the two men swore an oath to one another. And the place was called Beersheba. Beersheba means either the well of seven, reference to the seven ewes, or the well of the oath. Because the Hebrew sounds the same for oath and for seven. And so we're not sure which way it actually is. It could be either one of those choices. But what it does teach us is that in the midst of this life, you know, controversy and tensions and conflicts are all part of life. And believers should be peacemakers. We should strive to live at peace with all men. We should strive to work things out, even as Abraham did in this situation, because there are going to be times when there are conflicts and tensions. In Romans 12:18, the Scripture says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And after this agreement was made between them, Abimelech and Philco return home, and Abraham plants a tree in Beersheba. And that's kind of an unusual thing to mention here in this story. I mean, here you have this settlement of this disagreement, and what does Abraham do? He plants a tree, a tamarisk tree. It's a small tree that grew in the arid regions, but it was nice for shade and for wood. And for Abraham, it was an act of faith. Remember, Abraham did not yet possess the promised land, this land that God had promised to his descendants. In fact, he would never see it in his lifetime. And yet here he is planting a tree. You don't plant a tree if you don't have water or if you don't have some expectation of someday you're going to return there. And so here by faith, Abraham was living as an alien in the land. He never actually possessed it. He acted on the promise. Abraham's situation is the very same one we find ourselves in. We are aliens and strangers in this world. We're looking forward to that promised land, that new heaven, new earth that God is preparing for us. We walk by faith. We have challenges in this life. We have conflicts. But this world, this isn't heaven. We shouldn't expect that everything's going to be perfect or ideal in this life. There will be challenges and there will be struggles and tests of our faith. And it is out of that rich compost of life that our faith grows. And when we see it that way, we can thank God for what He is doing. We can thank Him for the circumstances of our life that cause us to grow in our faith. 
And in the midst of that situation, not only did Abraham take this step of faith to plant a tree, but he also called on the name of the Lord. To call on the Lord is to make Him known. It is to declare His attributes. And Abraham called Him El Olam, the eternal God, the enduring God. It is not just a statement about God's uh, everlasting nature, but it is a statement about God's immutability, the fact that He does not change. He's the God who keeps His promises. He's the God who has watched over Abraham all of his life. He's the God who has led him each step of the way in whom Abraham had placed his trust. Life changes. People change. Our health changes. Circumstances change. But God does not change. He is constant in His love for each of us. Moses would write in Psalm 90, From everlasting to everlasting you are God. And Psalm 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Would you read that with me again? For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. What a wonderful promise. All of us will experience trials in this life. You may be going through some tough things right now. Health concerns, money issues, conflict with other individuals. Maybe it's a struggle in your family right now. Maybe it's something from the past that has come back and you are dealing with it. They are part of life. And just like Abraham, we walk by faith and we look forward to that promised land and we place our faith in a God who is able to work all things together for good. God keeps His promises. God knows our needs and God is constant in His love for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the life of Abraham. It's just so amazing to see what you did for him and to understand that you are the very same God who has not changed and who is at work in our life also. You're a God who can take our messes, our tangles,